The purpose of this podcast is solely for patient education. It is not intended to evaluate, diagnose, treat, or cure disease. Views expressed are those of the podcasters and not their affiliate. Any medical questions or concerns should be addressed by the listener's physician or care provider. Listening to this podcast does not constitute a patient-physician relationship between the listener and the podcaster. We do hope the podcast can help enhance the listener's own medical experience. Welcome back to Everything Your Doc Wants You to Know and Doesn't Have Time to Tell You. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform about health matters affecting adults. From latest research updates to tips on navigating the healthcare system and everything in between. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Lindsay. How are you, Lindsay? I'm great. Excited to be back for another episode. Yeah, we're getting through this warm summer weather and hopefully enjoying it some. And I think we have a really good, good episode coming up here today. Yeah, it's an exciting topic about a new field of medicine, a relatively new field of medicine, genetic counseling. Yeah, so today we're joined by Allison Hutchinson, who's a certified genetic counselor, and she's been working at Sanford Imagenetics for the past two years. She focuses on working with teams to offer genomic and pharmacogenomic education to providers, patients, and the public. And she's part of a research collaborative investigating whether these educational interventions have been successful and how to continuously improve. Interestingly enough, prior to her role as a genetic counselor, she was a high school science teacher for over 10 years. She taught at Roosevelt High School and then um, the Technical Education Academy in Sioux Falls. And she's currently working out of Sioux Falls and enjoys listening to podcasts in her spare time. We're excited uh, to have you with us today, Allison. If you don't mind, we'd love to have you just do kind of a quick one-line intro on anything else you want to say or summarize. Sure. My uh, one-liner is that I am always interested in learning more, and I think that teaching should always start the discussion, never end it. I like it. Did you come up with that on your own? Uh, I've just said it so many times it feels like my own, but I can't say for sure that uh, it was 100% original to me. (laughs) Well, I love it. That's a great, great thought. Great quote. So thank you. I agree. So we'll kind of just get right into it. Um, I think the first thing is just tell us what is a genetic counselor? Um, That's a question that I get a lot, even from my own friends and family. So I'm glad to be on this podcast today and and share a little bit more about our profession. Uh, Genetic counselors are, I I think, best um, described by the name itself. So we're advanced healthcare providers who do have advanced training in both genetics. So there's the science aspect of of our work and the medical practice aspect of our work. And then also the the counseling side too. And so we have, we're trained in um, both genetics and um, medical genetics, as well as uh, how to help people adapt and understand um, how a genetic diagnosis might be um, affecting them or their family or their future family. Um, so it really is an interesting, I, you know, I, I, I don't mean to say that healthcare providers do not have a counseling or patient care side. That's um, not what I'm implying, but that the counseling or the sometimes it's called psychosocial or psychotherapeutic aspect of helping patients um, make decisions that fall in line with their values and, and you know, what what they want to get out of a session. We really do try to focus on that side of things, too. Yeah, that's a really good explanation, I think. And I think um, 
the counselor part of it isn't necessarily what I think about when I'm sending my patients to a genetic counselor. So I appreciate you highlighting that because, um, you know, certainly I tend to think of it as somebody who's a resource to patients to answer their questions. But um, I like I like the way you explain that. I think, you know, one of the aspects of genetic counseling that I didn't appreciate as much coming in, I think I was more focused as well on the be a resource, be a, uh, you know, provide education, help people make sense of um, the information. Uh, but really, even from the beginning of the visit, we try to build rapport and um, do a fair amount of what's called contracting to make sure that you know, we have an agenda based on the patient's referrals and the the case prep that we've done. Um, but it's important too to equally bring the patient into that conversation. So, um, in the contracting piece, we can lay out what we had hoped or planned or um, intended to discuss, but but really leave a lot of open space for patients and, and the direction that they'd like the the visit to go and, and helping them, again, make sense of the information and integrate it into a way that supports their health and well-being. What kind of training does it take to become a genetic counselor? Um, so typically the training is somewhere between 18 and 22 months. Um, so the program that I went through was brand new. It started in 2016 uh, in Sioux Falls here at Augustana University. Uh, and the um, number of programs in genetic counseling continues to grow and grow. I did just a little bit of background research before hopping on, and I do believe there are about 50 programs in the United States that are accredited and and more and more keep developing um, in Canada and across the United States and around the world as well. So um, a, a typical program, I guess I can speak to Augustana's, which I thoroughly enjoyed all the way through. Uh, there are two uh, full semesters of, of classwork the first year, and Augie is interesting in that it has a J term. And so... Um, you take one class during that January time in the Augie program. And the, the first year really does focus quite a bit on the didactic training. So um, we have classes in cancer genetics and, um, you know, adult and, and just medical genetics practice. We've got uh, reproductive and prenatal embryology type classes. Uh, we have metabolic training and um, laboratory methods. I'm trying to just walk my way through all my classes right now, as well as that training in uh, counseling techniques and, and interviewing skills and communication skills as well. Uh, and so the first year is heaviest in what would be maybe typical classwork. But at the same time, we have the chance to do um, various rounds of observations too. So um, Sanford is very lucky to have a strong genetic counseling um, presence. And so there are many opportunities to observe patients um, in clinic with genetic counselors here in Sioux Falls and, and other uh, places as well. But um, we do have an opportunity the first year to, to start our you know, watching genetic counselors work in sessions and talk with them, as well as just practice different skills too. So that was a great addition to the program when there were different clinical skills labs outside of an actual visit where um, the students can kind of practice different um, techniques and uh, family history taking and things like that. 
Then in the middle of the program, so we've completed the the first two semesters in Augustana, the J term. Then in the middle, um, that first uh, summer is the start of clinical rotations. And so there's a total of five and that's where you get your um, feet wet and start doing sessions more independently. Of course, a certified genetic counselor, a licensed uh, genetic counselor is in the room with you and, uh, but you you get to start taking over the reins, either doing part of a session or starting um, to eventually do the whole session. The students then rotate amongst uh, various core cases that they need to get. The main areas um, are prenatal, uh, cancer, uh, adult genetics, pediatrics, and then there's usually a laboratory rotation as well too. And then any other core cases that you need to fit in, you can as well. So that second year then is heavy in uh, your clinical time, uh, but there are a few classes that um, students are taking in that second semester. And then I would be remiss if I didn't add as far as training goes, uh, because it's a graduate program, there's uh, research to do as well. And so students develop and undertake some type of uh, research study and uh, write out their thesis or try to get published. And then one of the last days, there's a colloquium in which all the students present their work um, and friends and family can usually attend. This last year, it was via Zoom. So that was also uh, pretty fun too. Um, So that's the long answer to our training. It's typically two years of classes and the summer in between, uh, along with a heavy presence of clinical um, work and our graduate research project. So, Allison, when you're done, when genetic counselors finish their training, are the job opportunities pretty similar for all genetic counselors, or are there is there a lot of diversity in the types of practice that people go on to have? Pre-COVID, I would say that wherever you wanted to go, if you were willing to travel, uh, you really could get the job that you wanted right out of college or right out of um, training, I should say. Um, Things might change a little bit, but and it's hard to know with, um, you know, how COVID will shake things out as far as genetic counseling. But um, we're still really optimistic that um, you can get the job that you want um, if you're, you know, willing to move to to that location. But um, to give you an idea of where the Augustana graduates have gone, Sanford has hired quite a few of them. Um, One works in my class in the prenatal area. One works in peds. Um, One works here in um, Imagenetics with me. And um, a few have gone to Fargo um, for their training as well, too, and, and getting a job. So you really can, in my experience, go where you um, want to go and and because the Augie program kind of pulls students from all over the U.S., uh, we really have quite a diverse group go out um, and it seems like I'm trying to pick my way through the last couple of classes. Everyone's gotten the, the work that they're hoping to do. When I'm, you know, talking with patients and thinking about genetic counseling, I think sometimes we have the idea in mind that, you know, a genetic counselor is really just for people who have these rare inherited conditions. Um, And I think your role is probably more than that. So do you want to explain maybe who, who can or should see a genetic counselor? 
So you're right that there is a role for sure in the rare disease space uh, for families or patients that are maybe searching to end that diagnostic odyssey. Maybe they have um, something going on, but no one's really been able to to pinpoint it or, or uh, put a name to it and offer uh, treatment or, or management uh, guidelines. And so there is for sure a role for genetic counselors along with geneticists to um, help patients and families in that in that regard. But um, you're exactly right that genetic counseling is a lot more than just rare disease and finding an answer. So, um, you know, when we talk about what are some red flags or who might want to see a genetic counselor, it, it continues to expand because um, I've heard a quote before, except for walking across the street and getting hit by a car, everything is genetic. <laughs> um, and and so we're just learning more and more, not just about the big changes that can affect the big genetic changes that can affect um, how what patient's health is like, but we're even learning now about, you know, tinier changes or they're called single nucleotide polymorphisms or SNPs that can have both a a harmful or sometimes a protective uh, role in our genetics and in the realm of common or chronic disease. And so um, the the spectrum continues to grow wider and wider as we interrogate more and more of the genome and continue to learn more. Um, our DNA isn't changing, but definitely what we know about it continues to, to grow in advance. So um, people who might benefit from a genetic counseling consult, um, I can think, you know, mainly of um, patients who have a family history of uh related cancers maybe in their family. And when we say family history, maybe it's two or more people on the same side of your family have had either the same or a related cancer. And oftentimes, if that um, diagnosis comes at an earlier onset than what we would expect in in cancer, again, overall, probably that earlier onset is somewhere uh, before age 50, but that's not true across the board, um, just a, a, a rule of thumb. Um, but a person like that might benefit from a genetic counseling visit. We know that most cancer happens sporadically. We don't have a, a can't always pinpoint an exact reason for each individual um, cancer diagnosis, but um, there are uh, familial but also hereditary cancer predisposition syndromes and, and understanding more about that or even finding a specific gene change that is predisposing you or your family to um, a cancer is a, a really good information for some people to um, make sure that they're getting the treatment and surveillance options that are most appropriate for them. Uh, so that's one one place where uh, visiting with a genetic counselor, you know, might uh, might be a benefit and outside of maybe the the rare 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 disease space sounds good yeah I think um, you know one of the most common things that comes across to me would be you know like the BRCA gene for breast cancer and and um, my guess is maybe not in your role in the imaginetics portion but that a lot of counseling um, surrounds the BRCA gene and and counseling on, you know, what does that mean for, for younger women who have the gene? Do you have any kind of patient examples of, of something like that without giving any patient information, just story? Yeah, I can tell you a story about, uh, it was one of my first cancer counseling visits that I was 
doing on my own. I'd been hired at Sanford and um, I was working in the um, Edith building. Um, I'll, I'll never forget the specific case, but it was um, a younger person and it was an overwhelming time for her. The visit lasted over two hours, just considering um, her specific case and what she was going through and what her family was going through and kind of the ramifications of do I find out or do I not find out if I um, am carrying this BRCA gene as well. Um, And so for for me, it was an intense time. And um, the visit, of course, is not about me. It was about trying to help the patient understand um, what information she was wanting to know, why, you know, maybe what her motivations were, what she would do with the information um, once she once if we were able to find an answer for her. Um, And so the cancer visits can you know, be life-changing for some uh, patients. Uh, At the same time, too, if you find an answer, you can move on that and um, you can make some decisions and uh, decide which screening or additional surveillance you want to pursue. Um, Something that maybe patients don't always appreciate is that sometimes we don't get answers. Uh, Sometimes genetic counseling or excuse me, genetic testing brings out answers that are um, uncertain at times. And so we definitely in a a visit, we'll talk about the possibility of getting an uncertain result and and how a patient would feel if they, you know, if they did get a result that didn't give a definitive yes or, or no answer. That's kind of a unique aspect to genetic counseling and genetic testing is just Sometimes we don't always get what, you know, a clear, yes, you have this gene change or no, we don't see this in your family. And uh, depending on the the way we go about testing the family too, sometimes even a no is tough to, or a negative result is tough to interpret because we can maybe see some um, patterns in the family, but we're not able at this point to find a specific genetic change that might be leading to that. And so... Um, it can, it's important in, in a visit. And I'm thinking back to that specific case too. We spent a lot of time talking about the possibilities of all of the, um, outcomes, a positive result, a negative result, or even an uncertain result. And, um, giving patients the opportunity to number one, know about the possible results and then consider not just what they might do or might not do, but also how that result might make them feel and, and um, how that would, you know, change their uh, perception of themselves. Or um, it also can change family relationships too. One of the things we talk about a lot of times in training is that in genetics, the patient isn't just your patient. The whole family can quickly become your patient. Uh, and so exploring those dynamics and and how that might play out or practicing even how to say certain things to different family members and just being a, a support um, and encouragement and um, an ear to, to listen is really important um, when we're when we're seeing patients in a genetic counseling visit. I think one of the key things in all of this is is the important the importance of having all that knowledge before you go into the testing even. 
that you can bring about, you know, of all the different possible scenarios and what would that, what would you do with that? And I think we probably don't think about that enough prior to the testing and people get the testing before they've had that done. Even I imagine that makes things a lot harder to then go through the whole process. Yeah. It's definitely recommended that um, patients have pre-test counseling, if at all possible, before undergoing a genetic test. Um, Our director, Jay, likes to use the example that he has sometimes been the janitor and just cleaning up messes. And I think almost every genetic counselor would, would say that they'd prefer to be involved as soon as possible on the front end if genetic testing is a consideration uh, for the exact reasons that you mentioned, just having as much discussion and time to think and, um, you know, pursuing possibilities in your mind before you're forced to make a decision. All of that is really important. Um, It's important not to give a false sense of, of, you know, reassurance in the test and and understanding that sometimes results can come back uncertain. Um, You know, people have a wide range of emotions when a result comes back and, and they're entitled to that too. But sometimes just being able to consider or practice or or think deeply about what you might experience can be of of benefit for people for sure. My guess is it makes it a lot harder now that people can just go and get some of these private companies to give you a whole laundry list and how that affects things um, as well. The role of a genetic counselor is definitely evolving to keep up with the consumer-driven testing is is one word for it or direct-to-consumer testing. It it goes by different names. Um, There are even genetic counselors who more or less specialize in consumer-driven tests and and people have a test result, they want more information about it and so they can seek out a specific genetic counselor for that. Some of the labs too, the, the ones that maybe are, if you want to use the word better, I don't know, um, often have genetic counselors as part of their teams too, so that people can, you know, if they have questions ahead of time, call in or, or talk or type to a, a genetic counselor that works at that, um, in that lab. But then for sure on the back end, if somebody is interested in, in learning more about their result. Um, besides reading the test report, if they have questions or want to know more, um, quite a few of the the consumer-driven testing companies do have um, genetic counselors on staff for that very thing. But as far as clinical genetic counselors go or, or university or hospital-based counselors, you're exactly right that um, more and more patients have a variety of genetic test results that um, they didn't go through a physician to obtain. And so they um, they want more information on the back end. And sometimes there are surprises. I can think of a, a patient encounter too, where somebody in the family had done a, a direct-to-consumer test and got the results back. And um, the type of testing it was, they didn't verify the results with a secondary method, as you should do for clinical grade testing. And so the mom had been 
worried and confused for a fairly long time. And now the daughter wanted to get testing to see if she was at risk for um, the same cancer predisposition syndrome. And um, so after talking with her, the daughter multiple times, the, the, and encouraging her to reach out to her mom to go to a clinical genetic counselor to get the right kind of testing. Uh, eventually that did happen. And, and the, the mom's result did then inform the daughter that I was working with along with two other sister, um, two other sisters, but it was for sure a process. And, um, it, it made me sad to think about, the mom, you know, having incomplete or um, possibly incorrect results and making decisions on those um, based on those results or, um, you know, being worried about those results or not wanting to share them and, and just kind of living with that worry maybe all by herself. But eventually she was able to speak with a genetic counselor who helped not only her, but her, all three of her daughters kind of walk through the process and get more reliable results that then they could use, um, take to their physician and, um, get the, get on the surveillance plan that they were all feeling comfortable with. I think that's a really great point because I think a lot of people do the direct to consumer testing, um, maybe more or less just for fun or just to see and not really expecting any, um, actionable results. And so do you have any guidance or advice for people who are considering that kind of testing? There are lots of levels of validity and utility when it comes to the, the direct-to-consumer or the uh, consumer-driven genetic testing. And so it would be really important to do your due diligence and, and read over their materials, um, see what you feel comfortable with. And, you know, again, if you are concerned about a genetic condition in your family, I've talked exclusively so far about cancer, but, you know, cardiovascular disease, different cardiomyopathies or arrhythmias. And, um, for sure, I want to highlight familial hypercholesterolemia, one of the, um, silent, um, very undiagnosed conditions that, leads to adverse cardiac events um, on a regular basis. Uh, it's important if, if you have a family history of coronary artery disease or um, sudden cardiac death or, you know, any of the cancers that we've been listening to or neurological conditions, it's quite painless to ask uh, a doctor to just refer you to a genetic counselor and talk through your family history and, and get that advice um, or recommendations of possible next steps. And um, it's just a it's, genetic counseling at its core is a conversation. It's a, a process of communication. Um, and so, you know, I don't fault patients for being curious and, and wanting to uh, know more about their genetics. I think learning and, and knowledge is, is always, it can be very exciting. It can also backfire. And so either before that happens or on the back end, just remember that genetic counselors are there to support you at whatever stage you are in that, that whole process. So what can you tell us about kind of a typical, what a typical visit would look like with a genetic counselor? You know, every visit is unique, just like every healthcare provider's patient encounters are unique too. But overall, uh, again, depending on the reason you're seeing a genetic counselor, some visits in 
um, prenatal, uh, when you're talking about doing a first trimester screen, that's kind of recommended for most, you know, all women in the um, early stages of their pregnancy. That visit might last 15 or 20 minutes, perhaps a genetic counseling visit in cardiovascular or um, cancer might last closer to 60 minutes. Um, a pediatric visit when you're, or an adult visit when you're also seeing not just a genetic counselor, but a medical geneticist as well. Those could be even longer than that. So about maybe 45 minutes for each professional. So maybe closer to 90 minutes for that one, depending on again, who's all there and, and how the visit goes. But we'll definitely discuss the reason for referral. And that's kind of interesting. Uh, I wouldn't have guessed that. Uh, well, I'll just give you an example for me. When I go to the clinic or now have an e-visit, whatever it is, um, I know why I signed up, why I'm showing up. Um, but it's pretty typical for a patient to... Um, either just not know or say that they don't know uh, why they're at the genetic counseling visit. So we usually start with that. You know, what has your doctor told you about um, why she or he sent you to, to see us and, and really try to engage the patient in conversation, build that rapport so they feel comfortable talking with us and doing our best to understand what their expectations are. What do you want to get out of the visit is, is such an important question. And then we usually, um, after that, um, transition to taking a, a very detailed family history. And so um, we've got training and practice on how to take a detailed pedigree using the standard naming systems, the nomenclature that's been established in um, genetics. And so we'll ask about your siblings, any children. We'll ask about your parents and your grandparents. We try to get at least three generations in your family tree, talking about ages of everyone. So that's an important piece of information. If you can uh, do your best to get some of that info before coming, that's always helpful. People sometimes bring their notes and, you know, their notebooks. Um, sometimes they'll have um, family members on uh, speed dial or texting them to get that information. And we'll talk about who has which conditions or, or suspicion for different conditions, if anybody's passed away and how old they were. Um, and so we really do our best to, to get as much information about your family history as possible. And then um, based on that, you know, there's an interpretation too. So what are we seeing? What patterns exist? Um, sometimes the person who's coming in to visit with us isn't actually the, the person who should be getting the genetic testing first. Um, so let's say that I have a 26-year-old woman in my office and she's concerned because her mom had breast cancer. Um, well, her mom who had the breast cancer might be the more appropriate person to test. And so um, we'll have that discussion too, to see who may benefit from additional genetic counseling and if they choose genetic testing as well. Um, but we will talk about, at most visits, genetic testing options. I mentioned already discussing the results um, and the implications of results. So what would it mean if you got a positive? What would it mean if, if this came back negative? And of course, the, un, the possibilities for uncertain results. And then if a patient is interested, uh, sometimes testing will happen that day, um, but sometimes we have to get prior authorization for testing. And so oftentimes that will be the next step is a little bit of a pause and um, doing the, the prior auth to make sure that patients understand 
what the cost of testing might be and what their part in paying for that. Um, once genetic test results come back, if a patient is, is um, interested in pursuing the process, the results come back and they usually come back to the genetic counselor. And so it's our job to reach out to the patient um, and let them know of the results. In our notes, we we look up and um, offer surveillance or treatment recommendations that ultimately go back to the referring provider and the um, patient's primary care provider as well to keep everyone in the loop and, and make sure that everyone feels comfortable with the results. We're happy to talk to um, providers and walk them through results as well. And then I mentioned that the the family is often the, the patient uh, for us. And so... Um, one of the things that's kind of unique to genetic counseling is that we'll often write family letters. If a patient wants to share their result with their family, we op- we encourage that most of the time um, to make sure that other family members have the opportunity to find out information that's pertinent to their medical care too. And then throughout this whole time, right, it's not just about information giving. Uh, we really want to stop and check in throughout the whole process, um, offer guidance, make sure that the patient is integrating the information in an emotionally healthy way. And, um, you know, we, we definitely know the top of our scope as far as therapy and counseling goes. So we're, we're always willing to refer or make an, um, appointment for a patient to see, uh, another mental health care professional who can, um, help them deal with and work through emotions or um, any of the emotions that they might be having at that time too. So we're really part of the team and um, the patient's health and well-being along with their family's health and well-being is our top priority. That's really neat. It sounds like you provide a really comprehensive um, you know, visit and evaluation in addition to follow up with your patients. And so that I think is really, really important. You mentioned, Allison, a few things that people can bring with to appointments such as, you know, family members' ages or diagnoses or things. Do you have a list of things that they should prepare when someone is coming to see you? Depending on the the clinic that you're going to see the genetic counselor in, they might send you some pre-visit paperwork. Uh, And so, you know, I'm just thinking of some of the clinics that I've worked in in this um, area, but um, it often has information about family history. So different sibling relationships and aunts and uncles, parents, grandparents, any children, um, any symptoms that people are having, there's uh, usually a space to write in or or check off the box. Um, If you are coming and you know someone in your family has had a genetic test already related to or unrelated to the reason that you are being um, seen, that information is great because we would track that, try to track that down anyway um, to make sure we're offering the most appropriate testing uh, for you in your case. So if there are genetic test results and you can get a hold of them from other family members, that's um, awesome and much appreciated. Um, And then, you know, honestly, just questions. I've, it's really helpful if people write down their questions because I, I think sometimes as friendly as we make it, going into healthcare um, facilities can be scary, um, especially now when things are just a little off. Um, and so when you're sitting in a room, I don't always remember all the things that I wanted to ask. And so I've gotten in the habit in my own appointments to just write down my questions as they're coming to me days or, or weeks or even months before if needed. And so if people bring some questions in, that's 
that's great uh, because the visit really is about them and, and helping them um, understand and, and um, make the best decisions that fall in line with their values. There are a variety of more generic checklists and things like that. So I put in the notes section um, there's a website called aboutgeneticcounselors.org, and that's a really great site, too, that has a lot of different information for patients as far as what is a genetic counselor, how can I prepare, um, and they offer um, some great family history tools, too, um, to, to get patients thinking about um, what information do I need before I go see a genetic counselor, and ultimately, that shouldn't ever stop you from coming, so if you can't get information, we'll just do the best we can, and like you mentioned, there's quite a bit of follow-up in this um, in genetic counseling and so we're happy to um, wait for calls back or reach out to you at a certain time if you uh, need oh, some time to track down some information that will be helpful for your your case that's great yeah and we'll post those links on our on our website and in our show notes so if people want to access those they will be available to to find easily one last question I have is, um, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but about insurance coverage for a visit with a, a genetic counselor, do most insurances cover or how much is the cost? Yeah, every uh, patient insurance is a little bit unique. There definitely are trends, um, but it would be of benefit to just give your um, insurance company a call on the back of your card and, and check in with them. Um, you know, depending on the the clinic that you're going to, depending on if it's an e-visit or a, a, or a telehealth visit or in-person, depending on whether you're seeing another healthcare provider at that same time, um, the cost of a visit can vary. It's definitely not outrageous by any means, but um, we're, we want people to talk with genetic counselors, and so we, we do what we can to make that happen. Um, the same thing, many times genetic counseling is covered by insurance, but it's best if you just um, call your insurance and, and check on that. Genetic testing, of course, is different than the counseling visit, and that as well varies by insurance. The, the cost of genetic testing continues to become more and more reasonable. More and more insurance companies are seeing the benefit of having this information for long-term patient health outcomes um, and cost of care. Uh, and so it's um, it continues to evolve, um, but many genetic testing companies that we use in our um, clinic clinical areas here at Sanford have um, patient pay options too. So someone either doesn't have insurance or um, they have maybe a high deductible plan and, and don't want to pursue that option. Um, many times there are patient pay where you can just um, put it on your debit or credit card and, and pay for the test outright too. The other thing, you know, I keep thinking kind of back to cancer um, or cardiology visits, but sometimes too, if one patient, uh, if one member in the family does get a positive result, then in some of the labs um, that we've used, the family members can get free testing up to a certain number of days because the, you know, the company wants to make sure that testing is available for 
for the patients and their families at a reasonable cost. Um, getting that answer is important to them too. So um, the the cost is just really variable and it, it does depend on the, the type of testing that you're doing. Uh, but compared to where testing costs were five or 10 years ago, it's it's a much more reasonable endeavor at this time. Sounds good. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's it, it'll be really interesting to see how things evolve down the road here. And as we learn more, hopefully the cost will continue to improve just because it's, like you said, it's valuable information. Do you, do, do you see your role expanding in the future or changing in the future as we continue to learn more about genetics and utilize genetics more? So one of the things that I had on my list to bring up, but I haven't yet is exactly that. So we've talked so far about reasons why someone might go see a genetic counselor. Either they have a personal history of a specific condition that has a genetic reason for it or or could be genetic um, or someone in their family does. Uh, But where we're kind of leaning toward is what if we could find these genetic changes in people even before they have symptoms? So this is the realm of, um, there are different words for it, preemptive, proactive, elective uh, population genomic screening. Uh, And this is um, an area of interest of mine and and where I see a potentially um, expanding area for genetic counselors too. So um, there are, it's really exciting to think about the fact that we could, and we are identifying genetic changes in individuals even before that one small cancer cell turns into a a tumor or um, before they have any major symptoms, just to use that example again of familial hypercholesterolemia before their cholesterol gets really high and and causes problems. Um, But it also, you know, finding changes in somebody's genetic code, that doesn't mean that you're absolutely going to develop all the symptoms of that condition. And so there's a lot of genetic counseling and discussion and conversation to be had with patients on that side too. Um, So it's exciting to think about genomic screening, um, not necessarily testing for a reason, an indication of getting a diagnosis, but um, screening someone's DNA to see if we can find changes that we know are um, associated or related to um, genetic conditions that have screening or treatment recommendations. Um, And that's an area I think that genetic counselors may be um, working in or or considering more too. It does have its downfalls and that's why the conversations are so important, but it's also exciting to to think about those possibilities too. Yeah, I think it's such an an exciting and new and growing field. Um, It'll be interesting to see what comes in the future. It's certainly the the epitome of patient-centered care, which is kind of a term we're throwing around a lot um, in geriatrics. And that's that's exactly what this is, right? Yeah, it is so important. I mean, even two patients with the same genetic result can interpret that result very differently. And so I'm, I'm glad that you used the word patient-centered care because it does always come down to that. No matter what we're doing, whether it's the health IT side of things or writing reports or giving an in-service to providers to help them understand what a result might mean or not mean, it always comes back to um, the patients and the care that we're providing for them. I think it, it just proves how we have to have 
a team of so many different people taking care of um, taking care of our patients and and our family. It just really is going to be team medicine. It is now, and and it will be more so going forward. I think team medicine. Well, Allison, thank you so much for joining us. I think this is really great information. Um, is there anything else you would like to add or share with our listeners before we wrap up? I'm a big fan of podcasts, and so I'm just overjoyed to be a part of one. And genetic counseling is so unique. And um, if there's ever an opportunity to have um, specialist genetic counselors on to talk more individually about their field, I think it would be um, another great topic. So thanks for having me. This is um, something on my bucket list. I couldn't be happier to share this time with you. Well, we're really glad to have you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. You can find all the links to today's show and show notes for this episode at everythingdoc.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have any questions about today's topic or any other topics, you can email us at mail at everythingdoc.com. Another way to help us out and help other listeners find us is to write us a review and give us ratings wherever you find your podcasts. So if it's Apple Podcasts or Google Play, we would appreciate your feedback there. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.